0: The big idea of the letter of 1 John is this. John writes about all things concerning Christ, the Word, the eternal life. We saw this in the first couple verses of John. He writes and proclaims about all things concerning Christ to believers because they are believers, so that their lives might reflect the status as believers in holiness, in obedience, in love, in assurance, And all these things might lead to, ultimately, a right-ordered fellowship with God and with one another for our ultimate joy. He writes, all things concerning the word, that means we might live a life of fellowship with God that is directed and shaped and formed by the gospel, that we might look like holy, obedient, loving, and people who are assured of our salvation in God. And John organizes his letter into two main parts, and we're in the first one right now. He, he organizes the first part underneath, God is light, which started in verse 5 of the first chapter. And he has another section, which is love one another, which actually happens much later. And if you remember, we are making our way through this first half, where John explains and, and gives implications for God being light, the statement that God is light we I mean, first saw how, how if God is light, if he is holy and true, if he is the one who saves his people, then we who have been changed by the light must walk in it. We must live consistent lives. We cannot be those who say one thing and do another. We also must be those who have confessional hearts. Christians are those who recognize sin, who do not say, we have no sin. And to live a repentant, confessional life to God. Because he is faithful and righteous and the one who can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we should be confident Christians, knowing that Jesus is our once and for all atoning sacrifice if we do sin. And after that, we saw, if God is light... And if we have been truly changed by the light, then those evidences of God's grace in our lives, the the things that we do that are anti-our sinful nature, should give us the assurance that we actually have been changed by the light. We should be assured that we are united to Christ, that we have been loved perfectly by God, and that we have fully known God because of these evidences of grace. And today, John gets into, as we read a commandment, a commandment that is both old and new, a commandment that we as believers should follow, need to follow. Indeed, those who are in fellowship with God will follow. Many of you might know this, but I, uh, my freshman year in college, I was a math education major. Uh, I was not a Bible major my first first year. And in math classes, I was taking Calculus 1, 2, and 3, and all these really big, high-level math things, and it is standard, as you might remember from your math classes in high school, that you have to learn these new concepts that you do not know how to do. You're told to do problems and things, and you have to take this problem and do something with it, but you don't know how to do that. So the professor sort of commands you, you must do this problem. In order to learn how to do that problem, we have to look at the professor and and see him do things on the board, or maybe look in the book, and you see the examples in the book, which are usually not that helpful, but you keep on looking, and you see this professor doing uh, a really good example of this problem, and that's how you learn how how to do math, hopefully. In the Bible, we are given many commands, many things that we must do, as John reminds us of here. the only problem is is that much like these math problems that we cannot do, and many of us still cannot do, we have a sin problem, something that is completely making us incapable of following these commands. Because of our sinfulness and depravity, we cannot successfully obey these commands. And the worst part is, is that it does not matter if we have an example given to us. It does not matter if we have even the perfect example given to us, we still will not be able to follow the commands on our own. We could be given everything step by step, and it still will not be obeyed. And God even makes it simple for us, right? He says the whole law, all of the commands of the Bible, can be summed up in one command, which has two parts, love God and love others. And yet we still can't do it. We still cannot obey. And so we need not only not only a perfect example. We do need that. But we also need that perfect example to be able to remove the obstacle of sin and depravity in our hearts. To cleanse us of that problem and show us how to do it. And obey for us. In that way. And in this passage, John tells us that that has happened and tells us the immediate implications of that fact. So the main idea for today is to look at Christ and love like Christ. Look at Christ. Love like Christ. And this passage is split up into two main points. If you didn't get the main idea, you'll get it in here. Look at Christ in verse 7 and 8. Love like Christ in verse 9 through 11. So first, John tells us to look at Christ. And in these two verses in 7 and 8, he gives us two reasons and one result of looking at Christ. So two reasons why we should look at Christ and one result of that looking. So first, he gives us the first reason. Looking at Christ, or we should look at Christ, because he made the commandment new. We should look at Christ because he made the commandment new. And and in this section, John is introducing a commandment about which he is writing. We don't really know what it is. He's very vague at first. It's a written or spoken rule of some kind. And he begins by introducing it as something that is not new, but it's old. Then he comes out and tells us what this old commandment is. He says in verse 7, The old commandment is the word which you've heard. Which is still very vague. We're like, thanks a lot, John. And what John is referring to is a commandment that is from the Old Testament. It is something that's old. It is from the beginning, he says. you had it from the beginning. And then and you remember in 1 John 1 and in John 1, that phrase in the beginning or from the beginning is talking about Christ's eternality, is how Christ is eternal. And the reason that we say that is because he's calling back on Genesis 1. Well, he's not saying the commandment is eternal in this verse, but he is using Genesis 1 as a referent to say it happens in the Old Testament. It's old because it happens in the Old Testament. It is something that these people have heard that they have read, no doubt, that they should know, as he says, that they, it is the word which they have heard, that they've had from the beginning. But what commandment specifically could John be referring to? Well, the possibilities of the different commandments are many if you read the first five books of the Old Testament. Yet John is thinking about one in particular. And so if we skip down verses 9 through 11, John just starts all of a sudden talking about loving your brother. And so implicitly, in this context and in this section, he's telling us that this commandment is the one that can be found in Leviticus 19.18, saying, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Mr. John is about to write something, something here in these verses about loving one another. That is the commandment that is old, that they've had from the beginning. That they have heard for a very long time. But then John continues, and he tells us more about this commandment. He says, but on the other hand, or at the same time, I write to you a new commandment. So you say, John, is the commandment old or new? And he says, yes, it's both. The question is then, how? We know how it's old. It's from the Old Testament. But how is it new? Why is it also new? Why is John also writing a new commandment? Wasn't the old one good enough? John says, he tells us here, he uses because. You say that in your Bibles? Many of you are looking at me. Your Bibles are in your lap, hopefully. Because the darkness is passing away. And the true light now shines. So that is why the commandment is new. Because the darkness passes away, is passing away. And the true light now shines. Now if you've been reading John for any amount of time, you might be thinking, true light now shines. That seems familiar. And you'd be right. John uses the same exact phrase in John 1, 4, 4 and 5, and 9 use the same exact phraseology. This is what he says, John 1, 4, that which came in him was life, this is Jesus, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light which shines on all men was coming into the world. So what is John talking about when he says that the true light now shines and the darkness is passing away? He's saying that Jesus Christ is now here. That is the difference. Nothing about the commandment has changed. The commandment is still love one another. But it is new because of a new circumstance. Jesus Christ is here. The Messiah is here. And this light and dark language we talked about back in First John 1 through 4, but John is he's, he's bringing in this from Isaiah in this messianic salvation and kingdom of righteousness and justice. And Isaiah says this in 42, 6 through 8. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. He's talking about the son here. And get this, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to none other, nor my praise to carved idols. And he says the same thing Isaiah 49:6. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So we see here that Isaiah is describing how the Lord's Messiah will literally be a light, the true light to the nations, to all people in the darkness, making the darkness pass away. And this light is the messianic kingdom of salvation and righteousness and justice in which righteousness now dwells and darkness is no more. And it all comes through the coming of the Son of God. When the true light shines. And John tells us it's shining now. Now. The setting has now changed. The darkness no longer rules. Righteousness now reigns. For those who have faith in Christ, we have been brought into a new age where we can truly love one another because Christ has enabled it by getting rid of the darkness that so entangled us that hindered us that obstacle in the way and he has enabled us through his righteous reign to love sin no longer reigns in our hearts friends Christ does his righteousness does the Messiah has come he has inaugurated a new age He has brought his kingdom, and he will reign forever. This is why John is not just writing to us an old commandment, nor is he just writing to us a commandment, but he is writing to us a new commandment, a commandment made new in the coming of Jesus Christ. As one church father said, the new dimension to the commandment is that now the light has come into the world. Our Lord Jesus because of whom the power of the devil has passed away. He is the one who has made darkness pass away. He is the one who has enabled us to love. The commandment is new because it is seen anew in Jesus Christ. So why look at him? Because it is seen anew in him. He has made the commandment new. So let us look at Christ the second reason we should look at Christ is because the commandment is true in him. The commandment is true in him. We see this in, in verse 8. It says, on the other hand, I write to you a new commandment, which is true in him. In this phrase, this verse, verse 8, is the most important verse of this entire section because he gives you the command in verse 7 he gives you the implications of that command that we have to live by it in verses 9 through 11 and he gives you gospel in the middle in verse 8 the commandment everything it requires everything it is finds its truest expression in Jesus Christ. That is what this means. It is true in him. The words, love your neighbor as yourself, are true. Find their truest expression in Christ. The command is seen perfectly in him. He is the embodiment of what it means to love one another. And we see this in John thirteen thirty four, which which we read this morning, where Jesus tells us what the key difference is between the Old and the New Commandment. He says, A new commandment I give to you, to love one another, just as I have loved you. That is the difference in the commandment. That he adds, just as I have loved you. The basis for the commandment is Jesus' love for his disciples. The commandment is true in him. Well, how exactly did Christ love his disciples? How exactly did Christ love us? How is the commandment of love true in him? I know you guys have never seen this verse before, but let's look at John 3.16. John 3.16. John says, For God loved the world in this way. Maybe You're not used to hearing it read like that. But I say that because that so in John 3.16 is not to say that God loved the world so much. He had such a high degree of love for the world that he sent his son. That so means thus, in this way. Giving you the, the content of how he loved the world. Love is not merely an affection for God. It is an action for God loved the world in this way. Namely, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, that all who are believing in Him might not perish, but have eternal life. So God loved us by sending Christ. In other words, the Son of God's action of coming to earth, of taking on Human form. That he did not count equality with God something to be exploited. But he came to earth being found in human form. In the form of a servant. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He fulfilled the law of Leviticus 19.18. He died for us. And all of it is most fundamentally the truest expression, the love of God. That's how it's defined in John 3.16. The love of God is seen in the sending of his only begotten Son. The commandment is true in him. As John says later in 1 John 4, nine, in this the love of God has been revealed to us. God sent his only begotten Son, into the world in order that we might have eternal life. And this act of love culminates and is seen most clearly for us through the cross. As Ephesians 5, 2 says, Paul, Paul says this, he says, Christ loved us even as he gave himself for us as a sacrifice and offering to God for a sweet-smelling fragrance. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the ultimate display of of the love of God. Friends, nothing, nothing in this world, no no relationship, no person, no pet, no hobby, I don't care what it is, nothing in this world can outmatch the infinite love of Christ that far surpasses all knowledge, as Paul says in Ephesians 3.19. So by looking at Christ, based on John 3.16, we could say that the definition of Christ-like love is the passionate God glorifying affection for God that will be expressed in actions that push others to be satisfied in God? Christ like love is the passionate God glorifying affection for God that will be, because it's an action for God, it's an action for us, that will be expressed in actions that push others to be satisfied in God. Just how Christ who is God Himself and is completely passionate for His own glory, expressed His love in actions that made us believe in Him and to be satisfied in Him. So we, out of an affection for God and for His glory, express that affection in actions that push others to be satisfied in God. That's how Christ did it. And the commandment is true in him. After two reasons for looking at Christ, John then brings the result of looking at Christ. The result, which is that looking at Christ makes the commandment true in you. Looking at Christ makes the commandment true in you. So John continues in this phrase. And this, I gotta say, this phrase is like the most amazing thing. It it baffles me. On the other hand, I write to you a new commandment, which is true in Him. Stop, John. That's it. That should be it. It's true in Him. Everything we just said God shall love the world. How? By sending His Son. That's it. Praise God, John. That's it. Stop talking. Then he says, and in you. You're probably thinking, John, you're crazy. The truest expression of the command to love one another is true in me. It finds its true expression in me. How? He just said in 1 John 1.8 that we cannot say that we have no sin. He just said in 1 John 1.10, we cannot say that we have not sinned. So how in the world is the truest expression of the commandment of love true in me? Aren't I a dirty, rotten sinner? Don't, haven't I offended you enough? God, how? How is it true? John, you're off your rocker. But John tells us the beauty of the gospel here, friends. That because of our union with Christ, because of our fellowship with Christ that he is basing his book on that we talked about, that the love of Christ is true in us. That everything that is true in Christ becomes true of us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him that is Christ to be sin who knew no sin, So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. For our sake, he He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the love of God in Christ through Him. So that we might become the holiness of God in Christ through Him. Everything about Christ is true in us. We are considered sons of God, our sin is forgiven. Jesus Christ fulfilled the whole law by, by loving God perfectly and loving others perfectly. And we in Christ have fulfilled the whole law by loving God perfectly and loving others perfectly. Not because of us, not because we actually did it, but because of our union, our fellowship, our communion with the Son. In Him we have all spiritual blessings. In this fellowship that we have, It is one that is intimate, one that is founded upon and produces true, eternal, divine love. That is huge, guys. We were brought into this fellowship through love, and it produces in us love that comes from light, that comes from communing with Him. The new commandment is true in us because that light has shone into our hearts so that we now know Him, love Him, and love one another for no other reason than God's grace. So look to Christ. Look to Christ. If you want to follow the command of love, look to Christ. And God will continue to work in us. I want to say two quick things here on this first point. First, we need to read our Bibles like John does. We need to read our Bibles like John does. And this is what I mean. John reads Leviticus 19.18 and he does not just see Old Commandment. But he sees that the Old Testament authors are presenting for us what the Messiah will look like. What is true of the Messiah. John sees how Christ is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. How as Christ said, the law and the prophets and the Psalms or the writings, they all speak of me. And how the disciples on the Emmaus Road, he didn't they didn't understand. They were looking at him right there face to face. They didn't understand. And how they understood, how they saw the glories of God in Christ was that without the New Testament, by the way, Jesus just explained the Old Testament for what it's actually written for. And so I want us to read, and John gets this, I want us to read our Bibles like him. That we would go to all of Scripture and find every crack and crevice that leads to the cavern of the glory of God in Christ and that we would revel in it. And that we would love others and love God more because of it. That we would really savor Christ in His Word. That is a beautiful thing to do, guys. Beautiful thing second thing is that we all need to today believe, believe that the commandment is true in him. This is what I mean by that. Believe today that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you guys. He loves you. He came for you. He died for you, for us, and for our salvation. He loves you. This morning, friends, hatred is not true in him. Love is true in him. For those who are battling sin this morning, which we all are, some degree, For those who are weighed down by sin, judgment because of your failure is not true in Him. Love is true in Him. For those needing to confess sin this morning, who are being weighed down by sin, who have messed up over and over again this week, cold-hearted apathy is not true in Him. Open arms. Love. Close to your heart is true in him. He loves you. His arms are open wide to you. His heart draws near to you. Jesus loves you. Let us look at Christ today. Look at Christ. Second point that John moves into on this solid foundation of gospel truth, he moves into the implications for looking at Christ. The implication is... That we would love like Christ. And he breaks this down into three main implications. Three implications in light of what is true of Christ and of those who gaze upon him. And the first is that loving like Christ is mandatory. Loving like Christ is mandatory. John says in verse 9, The one who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness still. What he's saying is that Christian brotherly love is not and cannot be an addendum to your Christian life. Something that you can optionally opt in and opt out of. It is a mandatory compulsory expression of a life that is changed by the gospel. Christian brotherly love is not an addendum to your spiritual life. It is a mandatory, compulsory expression of a life that is changed by the gospel. In light of what John has put forward, he says that it must actually be true in you. It must be true in you, lest you are still in the dark. It It is not only the great news of the gospel, this commandment to love one another is true in you. It's something that we should revel in, that it's true in us, that it should baffle us that it is, that in Christ it is true in us. But it is also a serious commandment of Christ to live this way. Let us not shirk that responsibility and have a laissez-faire approach to the Christian life because it's already true in me. You must actually follow the command. And this follows what we've been talking about. We are united to Christ. We are in his light, we are communing with him and his love. And those who have been changed by the light walk in love. So, the big point here that I want to emphasize is that if we never exhibit the love of God, if we never show love that pushes others to be satisfied in him, then we need to seriously examine ourselves. If we find ourselves completely disinterested in the needs of others, especially the saints, if we simply do not care about the eternal destiny and happiness of those around us, then we, we, need to, we need to examine seriously. Because John doesn't know what you mean whenever you say that you're a Christ follower, if that is true. If you're not loving those around you, if you don't care, if you're not interested, you have no desire at all, zero. And he says, I don't know what you mean when you say that you follow Christ. I don't know what you mean when you say that you are united to the one who the love of God is true in. I don't know what you mean. Christ came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, not to be served. He went all the way to the grave for you, for filthy sinners like me, I mean, We might be brought to God, and we ought to do the same for others. And notice how this whole time, John has been now relating in, John, uh, in 1 John 2, 9, and 10. He's talking about how the light relates to this love. Now we've said since the beginning of, of this sermon that the light, us communing with the light, is what produces this love. So I was thinking about a good illustration for this, and uh, whenever Ellie and I first started dating, um, it was in February, the beginning of February, and so it was right before Valentine's Day. And so we got our first Valentine's Day, like two weeks after we started dating, and she had told me in passing that her favorite flower, I don't know if she did this on purpose to kind of give me a nudge, it probably was, I probably wasn't being observant, that was probably not my um, strong suit, and uh, she told me her favorite flower was hydrangeas. She loved hydrangeas because it reminded her of home, and her mom always had hydrangea bushes outside their house, and so she really just loved them. They always made her feel so so great and reminded her of her parents and all these things. So me, like the smart man I am, I went out to the store and made sure, and I was like, I'm going to go find hydrangeas. I even got one in a pot. That means it, you know, it wasn't just like, I don't know if they even sell hydrangeas in just a bundle of like that's already plucked or whatever. Um... But it I was in a pot. It could live. It was great. I was like, she can have this for many, many years to come. I don't know. So I, I brought it to her, and I was like, here's your hydrangeas. And it was like, wow, I'm, I'm, that's great. And, and little that I, I, I forgot that dorm rooms don't have very good windows. And it was really hard to keep something like a plant alive in a dorm room. So this plant, this poor flower, did not get any light. And it died in less than a week. And I was, I was heartbroken, and I thought it was a great idea, but it ended up not being a good idea. Um, but anyways, the plants, like this flower, need light to survive. And if it doesn't get light, it dies and wilts very quickly. And so if you are noticing in your life that you are completely disinterested in loving others then John is saying that you, friend, have not been exposed to the light very often, at least not recently. And friends, we must continue to be exposed to the light and exposed to the light and exposed to the light so that we we might grow and flourish and actually live and not wilt and die. Perhaps some of us have realize today in these moments that we have not been loving others according to Christ's example. And I'm asking you to go commune with the God who is light to save you from wilting spiritually and dying. Let us examine ourselves today to this end. So John does, he doesn't only give a negative warning and a call to self-reflection, But he also says that this love of others is the description of the truly mature Christian. So the second implication is that for John, the best example, the best example of a mature Christian is someone who loves his brother. When John thinks mature in Christ, he sees a brother who loves others. I get this from verse 10. He says, the one who loves his brother, remains in the light. There's that connection between light and love again. And get what he says here. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. That means there is no cause for sin. Whoever loves his brother and is remaining in the light and loves like Christ does, this one, he has no cause for sin in him. He doesn't struggle with sin. Utmost maturity in Christ. There is no cause for stumbling in Him. So just as the plant that withers without sunlight will, will end up dying, so does the plant that has sunlight constantly and is constantly exposed to it will live and grow and flourish and mature and reach full maturity because of the light. And this is taught all over the New Testament. Um, in James 2.8, in Galatians 5.14, in Matthew 22, 34-40, as we mentioned earlier, that the whole law is fulfilled in the command to love one another. Meaning, that if the loving of one another fulfills the whole law, then loving one another is the utmost form of maturity. If you do all of it, that means you're the mature one in Christ. And therefore, we don't have only something to avoid, but we have something to strive towards, to, to go towards in our maturity in Christ. Friends, to avoid sin, to become one with no cause for stumbling, is not just to abstain from something. John Noah here says that abstaining from something is the reason that this person has no cause for stumbling. Because we were really good at abstaining from stuff. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep myself out of these. And that's good things. Jesus taught that. Cut off your right hand. But that has never been the goal of the Christian. Not just avoid things. The goal of the Christian is to praise and to glorify God by being completely and utterly infatuated with him and with him alone, which involves abstaining from things, yes, but as John says here, it comes from remaining in the light by communing and having fellowship with him. And in this communing and this fellowship with him, as we are more and more infatuated with his love and we see all that he is for us in Christ, it overflows in us to love others and to push others towards him. If we are being conformed into the image of Christ and Christ's likeness is our ultimate end, then loving others to the degree that Christ loves others is the ultimate measure of maturity. As we commune with Christ, our perfection, our, our maturity is reached as we love like Him. Calvin says this on this passage He says, He joins Christ to them. He Joins, He unifies Christ to them as the head to the members. As though he had said the body of the church has no other perfection or that they would then be really united to Christ. So he's saying that he unites Christ to to Christians, to people, saying as if that there is no other way for the church to be perfected. There is no other way for them to be truly united to Christ unless Calvin says if holy love existed continually among them. Common is saying that 1 John is teaching that the ultimate perfection of the Christian occurs through our union with Christ in our fellowship with him. And it looks like holy love existing in us. Not only for God, friends, but also for one another. The goal of the Christian is to be so wholeheartedly devoted to God that it overflows into others so that ma- they might be wholeheartedly devoted to God, so that more and more and more and more and more praise might go to God forever. That is the goal of the Christian. To be mature Christians with no cause for stumbling, we must commune with the God who is light today. We must look at Christ every day and soak in that love. Communing with him. And then after that, turn and ask, how can I love others in that way today? How can I do that today? That, friends, is true maturity in Christ. How does this reality affect our relationships? Your marriages? Your friendships? Does the question of how you might love them and push them towards a deeper satisfaction in God dominate your life? Is that kind of love what dominates your thinking? John says it should. John says that that is the mark of a truly mature Christian Friends, how might this reality affect our fellowship here at Grace Chapel? How might we, this day, this week, this month, this year, love one another as Christ does? How today will we, out of a passionate, God-glorifying affection for God in our communion with Him, express that love in actions that push one another to be satisfied in God. The third implication that John brings is in verse 11, where he says that the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, and he walks in the darkness, and he does not know where he goes, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I want you to imagine for a moment you're in a cave, and caves are completely and utterly dark if you've not been in One and you can't see your own hand in front of your face, what dictates you as you walk, as you meander, as you don't know where you are, as you stumble about, is the darkness. The darkness is dictating and and constraining what you are able to do and where you are able to go. And you might go down a a way that is very obviously not the way out, but because you can still move forward, you're going to go. And so the darkness also confuses and and completely blinds you from being able to see where the actual right goal is. It makes the right end seem wrong and the wrong end seem right. And you're completely blind. John paints that picture for us of someone who hates his brother. As someone who is like this person, someone in complete darkness, and he is wandering around, and he cannot tell where he's going. He has no goal He's completely spiritually blind. He only does what is consistent and what is constrained by the darkness itself. And he has no hope of ever doing otherwise. And believers, if you find yourselves hating others, but John says it's like you had a flashlight and you turned it off and pitched it behind you and decided just to try to try it out and walk around in the dark for a while. If we find ourselves not wanting God's best for others in Christ, if we find ourselves with no affection for God, and we actually want what is worse for those around us, for whatever reason, then John says, you're participating in darkness, brother. You're you're walking in evil, in deceit, in unbelief, controlled by worldly things. But if we find ourselves as Christians, thankfully, walking this way, and we realize it, and we we read texts like these, and we realize, oh, I have been, then we can just go back up to verse 8, and we can look, turn on the flashlight again, and we can start loving one another. But, to my unbelieving friends in the room today, this verse, verse 11, is most centrally about you. Whether you realize it or not, as a person who has not put their faith in Christ and repented of their sin, you are the one who is blind. You have no idea where you're going. You have not experienced the love of Christ you are not in the light. You are outside of fellowship with God. And you are completely incapable, like every one of us is, in our own strength, completely incapable of loving like Him, of communing with Him, of living forever with Him. Friends, you are today outside of that love. But today you heard and we saw how Christ was sent to earth in love for sinners like you. And that if you believe on his name and you repent of your sin, you can live eternally and you can live forever in communion with the God who is light and experience his love for you forever. So I ask you today, repent of your sin. Believe the gospel. Run to the God who is love. Experience true, divine, everlasting love. And he will love you till the end. In closing, I want to say four things that we can do this week, every day, to try and grow in this walk of love. To try and grow in this Christ-like love. And the first thing, you already see it on the screen, is that we need to reflect. We need to reflect. Ask yourself, how have I failed at loving others this week? And don't just keep that broad. Ask yourself, how have I failed at pushing those around me to satisfaction in God out of my affection for Christ? How have I failed at doing that kind of love, at that Christ-like kind of love? And maybe even more specifically, how have I actually pushed people in my life away from a passionate love and affection for Christ? How have I, through my words or through my actions towards my spouse or my kids or my friends or strangers around me, how have I actually pushed them away from that? In light of that, after you find your answers, if there's any sin that you have realized, if you realize you have not been loving others in this way, if you realize that you actually have been hating others by pushing them away through your words and actions, Repent repent of how you have failed to love others confess and ask god to conform you into the image of his son more and more to give you the words to speak to others to love them well and after that don't just stand there in despair but read read do what we talked about at the end of the first point to look at christ in his word and behold him and see him and see his gospel, and behold his cross, and to see his love, and to revel in it, and to cherish it forever, and be so satisfied in him alone, that you want to love others in the same way. Believe that he loves you. And also believe that he loves your spouse, that he loves your kids, that he loves your friends, that he loves that guy in, in Walmart, in aisle nine. That he loves every single one of us here and that that love for them should push you to push others into that love. Because if they aren't seeing it, then they don't know what they're missing. Because it's the best thing in the universe to be in communion with God in that way. And then return. Reflect, re- repent, read, and Return positively think, in light of all this, in light of this process that I've gone through, in light of seeing the glory of God in Christ, how can I intentionally love someone like Christ today? How can we intentionally push others to be satisfied in God for the glory of God? And then... Love others in those ways. And if you don't know, if you can't come up with anything, then go to, once again, your spouse, your friends, your kids, and others around you and ask them, how can I love you and push you towards satisfaction in God? What can I say to you? What can I do for you? What can I text you? What can I do something for you? How can I pray for you in order that you might be more enraptured in the glory of God forever? How can we do that? Ask them, and then do it. Make a point to do it. This is the word of God from 1 John 2, 7-11, through 11, which I now commit to your further study and faithful obedience until Christ returns. Let us pray. Holy Father, we are Insufficient, unable to do what you have shown us in your word. Lord, give us the realization of that in our hearts and help us to fall in confession and repentance and to believe in Christ the one who is the truest expression of your love in the gospel. And help us to sit there and to make it a habit to love meditating and thinking on you alone. Then Lord, help us to go from that place and to overflow in a worshipful obedience into loving others in the same way that you have loved us in Christ. Lord, let it always be in our minds, always on our lips, always in our hearts so that we might never go a moment where we functionally hate someone because we do not push them to this glorious end that is in you. Father, help us to do this by your spirit this week and every week for the rest of our lives until you return and until you call us home. We love you, Father, but only because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.